Coming to you from the San Jose Mercury News, the Bay Area News Group, it's the TK Show. Now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. Hey everybody, it's Tim Kawakami here, TK Show. Really glad to have you here and very glad to speak to my guest, a frequent uh, guest on this show, someone I talk to just a little bit now and again and, and during the season. Uh, always great to have him on, uh, always great to talk to. It's Steve Kerr, the two-time championship winning coach of the Warriors. I've, I've lost count how many championships total for you, Steve. It's like 35, 38 now, 50, something like that. I don't know. I, lo- I lost track too, Tim. <laughs> it gets so boring for you now, collecting all those. You just got to put up a picture of you wearing all your rings on your Twitter account. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. Someone else has done that. Yeah, it, it's uh, incredible. I mean, I, so, you know, five as a player and two as a coach. There you go. And um, I think about that, like, how does that happen? You know, I mean, it's... Uh, Obviously, um, you know a lot of a lot of good fortune. You got to end up with the right teammates around you if you're a player. I mean, I was a you know role player and you know um, decent player, but marginal at best in the NBA, really. And to 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 be with Jordan and Pippen and you know Tim Duncan, Robinson, all those guys, and then to end up as a coach with with Steph, and Draymond, KD, all these guys. It's it's. Um, just incredible the way this has all turned out. Well, you mentioned Steph that time, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my God. If you what do, an idiot. Yeah, you, if you do need to go back and correct something, Margo wa- wants to call in with a with an add-in. She's fair game on this, by the way. I totally I totally yeah. accept that. I understand. all. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking off the cuff. You're, you're going through your, your being Steve Kerr. You're thanking everybody. And... You just accidentally forget to mention to Steph Curry. I just wonder what what that emotion was like when when that all happened. Well, I felt awful afterwards, and um, you know it, it was it was off the cuff, and um, I hadn't planned on mentioning everybody. I was really when I went up there, all I wanted to do was tell the story of you know Javelle after the game mm-hmm. crying, you know just tears streaming down his face, telling me how happy he was because I thought it just perfectly symbolized our our team's selflessness because I had told him the day of game five that I wasn't going to play him. And um, a lot of guys wouldn't handle that very well. And not only did he handle it well and say, no problem, coach, I trust you. But then we win, and, and like the joy that he took even without playing in that game was so impressive to me because we're all human. You know, we all are um, fallible. We're all vulnerable and, and um, you know, ego gets in the way. And I just feel like the remarkable thing about this team over the last three years is just the fact that everybody has set their egos aside. So that was the story I wanted to tell. And I was just going to leave it at that. Um, but then I, you know, I started looking at everybody's faces and so many guys have moved me Um you know, McAdoo and just what the role he's played, even though people won't understand it unless they're behind the scenes. And so I started going down the list, and then, you know, somehow I forget Steph, and I walk back to my seat, and my wife says, you forgot Steph. And I said, no, I didn't. I, I could have sworn I, you know, talked about it. I think I mentioned him going crazy or something with his shooting, but, you know, clearly it was it was such an omission. And what my my biggest regret now is actually just not walking right mm-hmm. back up to the to Fitz and grabbing the mic and saying, "Hey, hold on a second. Um, but it was uh, it was it's embarrassing. It really is embarrassing. And and uh, I know it's not a huge deal, and Steph's not offended by it. But I mean, come on, <laughs> how do you how do you forget Steph? Yeah, that's I think that maybe I just 
he's such an integral part. He's like the he's the foundation point. It's like you just you just yeah. know he's there. You know that's that's almost the way I read it. It's like yeah, it's assumed. It's, it's you're there because of Steph. It's it's the beginning point of this franchise. So I think that might be everything. Yeah, everything we do is based on Steph. Um, you know, from the very beginning of this run, you know, Steph was the guy who started at the, you know, drafting Steph and building around him and, and then his development. And then obviously there's been so many good players who have been added, but, um, I think, I feel like our foundation is built around his, not only his talent, but his character, his selflessness, uh, his joy, his work ethic. And, um, and then, you know, literally our offensive system is built around the, the chaos that he creates for defenses. I've never seen a player who, who elicited, you know, so much of a defensive schematic response um, because of his ability to shoot from 30 feet and, and dribble around everybody. And um, even, you know, even Michael Jordan, like there were, you know, people had the Jordan rules, but mm-hmm. nothing has ever been as dramatic as, as what I've seen from opponents' defensive schemes as, as um, how they you know, how they have to deal with Steph. Well, we just go right to the, the, the Cleveland series, right? I mean, they, they were as obvious as possible. Durant's the MVP of the series. Obviously, Durant was incredible, but they weren't jumping Durant. They were jumping Steph. Right. Uh, did you anticipate that? Was, was there any kind of extra tweaking you had to do once you saw that happening, say, you know, game two, game three, uh, w- Game four, when, when they really had a whole seemed kind of Steph Curry rule that he wasn't going to get yeah. open off the pick. I thought um, game three was revealing. Like that's where we could really see um, their plan unfold. We could see it in, in a little bit in game two. They they made a huge adjustment in game two. Game one, they were their pick and roll coverage was much different than game two. So game two, they started to to do some different things. Um, the main thing that we saw was they were uh, switching with Tristan Thompson, switching on to Steph with Tristan, and then blitzing with Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea really was um, there, there's, no, there's nothing they can do about KD, right? I mean, he's 6'11", he can get his own shot. Um, and if you devise a plan to stop KD, now you're you're letting everybody else free. So I think they just said, all right, we're going to, we're just going to, you know, deal with Kevin, but we're going to try to stop two guys. And, you know, one is Steph and two is Draymond. And um, I think it was really smart because in many ways, those two guys represent, you know, what we do. And, and they are so integral to um, not only the, the structure of what we do, but the emotion involved. Like when Draymond is fully involved and invested offensively and getting passes in the pocket and throwing lob passes, like it just energizes our team. And same thing when Steph starts hitting those 30-footers, you know, the crowd goes nuts, our team goes nuts, and that fuels us. So their whole strategy from really from game two on was uh, let's do our best to take Steph and Draymond you know, out of the offensive uh, schemes as best we can. And I thought it was pretty pretty effective. They did a good job. So what was your counter to that? Just make sure Durant has the ball in, in, in the open court a little bit? Our, our counter really uh, came in game five. I mean, because we were, you know, game two, we, we, you know, we didn't have to adjust. We, we were scoring at will anyway. We did fine. 
Steph was playing great. Um, my only concern um, was that Draymond was not involved offensively. And, and again, I thought that was a smart strategy by Cleveland. Um, so what they were doing was switching with him and then leaving him open to shoot jumpers. And they fig- figured they would live with his jumpers, but they didn't want his drives and his playmaking. And so the big adjustment that we made really came in game five when we just shifted everything to the side of the floor. And instead of running high screens, we ran side screens. And it, it changed um, their defensive shell behind the play. And it changed the rotations. And they had grown really comfortable with um, with their rotations and their defensive scheme. And uh, it was Mike Brown's suggestion on the plane back from game four. And he said... Uh, he said, "What well, you know? What if we moved everything to the side?" And we had done some of that last year in the finals and had some success. And uh, so we watched a lot of film, um, and um, we decided we really needed to uh, to shift everything over to the side. We, we so we kind of brought brought that um, that screen and roll over to the side of the floor, and we started putting multiple people in it, just trying trying to confuse them and change things up, and it was a really effective look for us. And you probably noticed we ran that same play yeah. about 25 times yeah. that game. Well, Durant, the Durant-Curry uh, screen and roll seems to be a relatively effective way to use those two talents, I would guess. Yeah, but the key really was adding uh, a second screener. Mm-hmm. You know, So it wasn't just putting Steph and KD on one side. It was, it was coming over with multiple screeners. Yep. So KD would come over, and sometimes he'd slip and dive, and other times he'd pop out, and Draymond would dive. And and what happened in that game was it freed Draymond up. Um, and you probably remember he caught a couple passes and hit Andre for lobs. Yep. And and um, and I thought when even though the you know the focus offensively was KD and he was dominant and Steph had a great game, I thought freeing up. Draymond, which was almost an unintended consequence of, of our strategy change, um, I think that that helped kind of energize Draymond and energize our team and really got us going. And I thought we played a great game, um, but Cleveland was amazing. You know, LeBron was amazing, and uh, the guy who kept them in it was Jr. You know, if Jr. doesn't have a Jr. game. Um, I think we win that game easily, but he personally just kept them in it with all those threes. Now you you obviously went with Iguodala. You talked about not playing JaVale, uh, and you you could kind of decrease some other minutes. And me and Clark, I don't recall playing in that game, and Sean didn't play a ton. Did you always know? I mean, you got Iguodala. We know what happened in 2015. Was that in your back pocket the whole series, or was that kind of, oh, wait a minute, let's play Andre more? How did you kind of strategize what Iguodala's role was going to be kind of later in the series? Well, every game's different, you know, and and I didn't feel that Andre um, had it going in game four. You know, defensively, he wasn't as aggressive. Um, We were on our heels that whole game. The last thing I was going to do was try to ride him out for, you know, 35 minutes when, you know, we were clearly getting blown out. And I just didn't feel like, you know, that was going to shift everything. Um, and so I, I had, you know, we, we really challenged all of our guys in the film session after game four to be much more aggressive defensively. And Andre's always been our best defender on LeBron. And what Cleveland had done so effectively against us in game four was um, just pick and roll us to death, you know, and they just – they were picking on our centers, you know, so they were bringing JaVale out and Zaza out, and they were picking on Steph a little bit, um, you know, using Kyrie as a screener. 
And uh, so what we decided, and they, they were picking on Ian a little bit too, and, and uh, so what we decided was we're going to play McCaw. We're not going to play our center as much. We're going to go small, and Andre's going to have to play big minutes. And uh, I asked him the, the morning of the game. Uh, we had a voluntary shoot-around. I said, how many minutes can you give me? And he said, how many do you need? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I knew he was ready. If you had said uh, about 15, Coach, <laughs> you said, uh, no, let's think about 35. Yeah, <laughs> 35 would be good. And, and the thing with Andre, he's, he literally doesn't sweat. He doesn't get mm-hmm. tired. And um, so Mike Brown um, frequently this year would say, you know, like, you know, we always bring Andre in around the six-minute mark of the first quarter. We usually take him out after 10 or 11 minutes. And for most of the regular season, we would do that. But when we needed to keep him out there, we would just do it. And Mike would say, well, should we get him on rest? And I would just say, you know, Andre doesn't need rest. He really doesn't. He's one of the best conditioned athletes I've ever seen. And in a big game like that, um, you know, you're not holding anything back. You're not trying to pace him through the season. Um, you just ride him. And um, he was phenomenal. He, it was his best game of the season. Steve, obviously, you know, the whole journey of the playoffs was certainly uh, different this time, certainly for you. Uh, you. You had to miss those 11 games. I, I'm more focused on... How important was it for you to get back into the finals coaching? Just, I mean, and you hate it to be just about you, but just how important for you was it to get back on the sidelines at some point in these playoffs? Well, it was huge. Um, you know, from, from a selfish standpoint, I'll admit, you know, from a personal standpoint, I needed it. I needed to be out there. I, I, you know, I coached all 90 games in the regular season and the preseason. Mm-hmm. And, um, not always comfortable and, and uh, you know, feeling great. But I coached them all, and I felt good about that. And then all of a sudden, you know, two games into the playoffs, um, you know, all hell breaks loose for whatever reason. It was devastating to me. So it was good to, to feel better and to, uh, to be able to come back and finish it. Um, and, uh, you know, I will, I will always have that memory of, you know, celebrating game five and it wouldn't have been the same for me um sitting in the locker room you know watching on tv so it was a big deal for me to get back and i'm glad i was able to do it were there people around you saying don't come back steve don't it's too much no no in fact uh my wife was leading the charge Mm -hmm. she's like you got to get back just go for it you know you can do it um and Bob Myers really wanted me to be out there, but, you know, he wanted to make sure I was okay physically. And so we talked every day. There was about a week period, week-long period, where you know, I felt well enough to come back. And uh, so it was like kind of during that uh, break after the San Antonio series, and I was getting getting a little better. And um, so we, had, we talked every single day about, you know, the pluses and minuses and should I do it. And, and Bob was really encouraging and ultimately said, you know, you got to, you got to do what whatever you think is best, and um, it just felt right. As I noted, uh, one thing I really respect is you, you could have lost a game right then, right? I mean, you know, you lost game four, you could have lost game two, and wouldn't have been because of you, obviously. Could it happen though, and there would have been a murmur. I mean, is, is was that in the back of your head at all, or, or if you're just the competitor you are, you can't think about what people might no, you, think. you can't yeah. can't think about that. Um, I learned that as a player. You know, the minute you start thinking about being the goat, you know, oh man, if I miss this shot, you know, they're going to, they're going to talk about me. Um, 
can't worry about any of that. You just compete. You do your best. Um, you lay it out there. And same thing as a coach. I mean, it's it's different, obviously, but um, the circumstances were kind of similar. You know, I I uh, you know I was putting myself out there, and if we had lost, you know, that would have been a distraction. That was my main focus. Was um, I didn't want to be a distraction to the team. It wasn't so much like I'm going to take the blame if we lose. It was more. I didn't want that to be the story, and then all the players are asking, you know, are having to answer questions from the media about, you know, me and my return and all that stuff. So, um, you know, ultimately I had to just say, screw it. You know, if I feel better, I should coach, and if I don't, I shouldn't. And uh, simple as that. And the way it turned out, I don't know if you guys planned it that way. You just show up at the pregame press, or it's not like anybody was ta- asking the players about that, really. Boom, there you are. You're taking questions, and then you coach the game. So uh, if that was the way it was planned out to reduce the uh, distraction, well well done, by the way, because yeah. there, there wasn't much of it. You know, the, the reason it turned out that way is because, you know, with the 6 o'clock starts uh, of all the games in Oakland, we weren't having shoot-arounds. We were just having, you know, optional shoot-arounds where half the guys would just come in and get some shots up, totally informal. So the team was never gathered, and I literally made the decision – during the day of game two that I was going to do it. And um, it's impossible before the game um, to really gather the guys until, until we have our meeting. And um, so I didn't, it wasn't planned at all. It was just, I made the decision and uh, I had to go do media and the players all found out basically on their phones. Which is not, you know, this is the way the NBA is now. I think that's how they find out just about everything. Uh, Bob Myers, mentioned something the other day and I, I certainly have thought this that he, he didn't you know it, it wasn't about you kind of gutting through which I, and which I think it was I, I wrote that it was but it, it's that that the games are are part of it for you they're, they're you know in some ways they're a little bit of a, a release for you for for all this um how true is that how you know do, do you is it less pain for you? I don't want to get in the, we don't need to get into specifics, but are, are the games right. maybe less difficult than, than we're really thinking in, in the backdrop of everything else that's going on with you? Well, the games are just important to me, to my well-being, um, you know, just, you know, coaching and being involved, and this is what I love to do. And so it's very, uh, it's very painful um, figuratively mm-hmm. uh, to sit out, you know. Um, and so... You know, with chronic pain, you're kind of dealing with pain no matter what you're doing, you know, um, whether you're sitting there doing nothing or coaching a game. And um, and uh, that's the difficult part of it. You're kind of always dealing with, with the physical pain. And so you have to figure out ways to uh, uh, to get through it. And, and uh, one of the ways for me to get through it is to to coach and to be involved and to be invested. And, and it kind of takes you away from it a little bit. And... Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's what's really been important to me, you know, since this began a couple of years ago. And I asked you, like a week before you came back, you know, the lights and, and the, the music and, it, you know, not, no place is louder than Cleveland uh, for the music and everything that's going on. And you told me then, no, it's not going to be a problem. It bugs me, yeah, some, it bugs not, me sometimes, but not, it wasn't a problem to you? stuff doesn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, it bugs me sometimes. I'm going to let them know about that. It does bother me sometimes. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I don't want you don't need to get any details. And you mentioned it the other day that uh, you, you will be going to see some medical people this summer. Is this is this something that that you have a set idea of what the schedule is going to be, or it could could it be open ended on on how long it takes kind of for you to go through this process again? Well, it's a it's a it's a journey, and you don't know you know you don't know when it's going to end, and you kind of go from one step to the next. And uh, unfortunately, there's no sort of set protocol like um, I would say in most illnesses where you you know somebody a doctor says, well, this is what you have, and this is what you have to do, and you do it. Uh, it's not that simple, and um, so you're constantly uh, searching and, and um, learning and exploring things, and that's, that's the idea. And uh, I've had a lot of wonderful people help me and lead me in certain directions, and uh, I just keep going, and um, hopefully before too long, and you know, I'm, I'm already pursuing things early this summer, um, hopefully I can get some traction and, and build some momentum here and get, get back to feeling really good. Anybody have a good idea about what happened uh, in that first round there? I mean, it almost seems to me like if you could just say, okay, if you could just have it where you were this season, you're, you've, you've accepted that. You just can't be yeah. like what happened that first round. Does anybody have, have any idea about that? Not really. Not really. Wow. And that it may or may not ever happen again? They, they don't know? You know, I mean, that's, that's like I said, there's no... Um, no clear answers to anything, mm-hmm. and, and uh, but it's good to have the time this summer to uh, really pursue it and explore it. You were very firm to me when we talked again about a week before you came back that you were coaching. You know, I asked you if you're going to coach again, and you said, "Hell yeah!" Uh, did going through this and getting back make it? I mean, firm in your mind, you are coaching. <laughs> this is this is what you are. You're going to coach next year. You're going to coach the year after that. You're going to coach the year after that. Is is that kind of the way this is set up for you? That's the plan. That's uh, that's what I uh, aim to do, and and uh, you know, we'll, uh, I'm 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 going into the off season uh, with Bob, thinking you know that's that's how this is going to go, and uh, you know, if things fall right, then uh, everything will will work out, and I'm confident that that will happen. But you know, uh, I still have some some work to do, and things to pursue well let's talk some basketball here but you just watch what's going on even before the movement period the huge names being discussed and this person's going to leave this person wants to be traded there was a big trade uh, involving the lakers uh this some of the discussion is hey the warriors have set this high standard and everyone else now is just in this mad scramble uh, do you feel some of that? I know it's, it sounds a little arrogant if you do say that, but do you sense a little bit of that you guys have maybe changed the kind of scope of this offseason just by your dominance, by the roster you've put together? Not really, because, you know, I look at, you know, what teams are out there doing. They're just doing what they should be doing, you know. Um, I think what the Lakers just did um, makes perfect sense. I mean, they're they're not worried about us. They're worried about them. You know, they they need to to rebuild, and they're they're figuring out which pieces they want to keep. Um, you know, they're configuring their cap so that they can go after some people in free agency. Uh, they're adding picks. Like I, I think it's um, I think they're doing a really good job of it. Um, I don't think we affect their thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn was uh, 
set back by that Boston trade several years ago. They're just trying to add young talent. And, you know, I'm pretty sure they're not at all concerned about us. So there might be a couple of teams that are thinking about us. Um, but this is, I don't think this is that out of the ordinary in terms of NBA history. You know, you get, you get teams that are primed uh, for long runs, for, and long meaning, you know, maybe a few years because everything changes so quickly. Uh, we're in that stretch right now. We're in this glorious stretch, two titles, and we've got everybody coming back. Um, but it's amazing how fast things change in the NBA and sometimes unforeseen changes. And uh, I think every team just has to do what's best for them, prime themselves uh, for, you know, rebuilding or, or building on what they already have, and then you just kind of play it out. I get, yeah, that's the, the, being more aggressive, which I think is a good thing. If, 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 yeah, if the Warriors roster has caused teams to say, we've got to be aggressive about getting better, that's a good thing. They should be aggressive. You shouldn't just sit sure. back and be happy with 43 wins or at best on some of those. Uh, just a little mini lecture by me there. Uh, you said everyone's coming back. Steve, is every, everybody's coming back? Iguodala's coming back? Well, I mean... Who knows? We got ten free agents, um, so chances are not everybody's going to be back. But um, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, you know Steph and KD are coming back, and um, obviously Clay and Draymond are under contract, and um, and then we've got a lot of key guys, and we'll see how it all plays out. We would love to have everybody back, and uh, you never know how this stuff works. You go 16-1 in the postseason, Steve. Second championship in three years, three straight finals appearances. But obviously, there's there were new players to this. Are you going to get better? I mean, do you expect to get better next season, or, or or are there some worry spots for you still? I mean, I joke with fans who tell me about what they're worried about. You know, you just went 16-1 playoffs. But as the coach, yeah. do you look at things you you want to get better at? I think we will definitely be better next year from the experience of this year, from having KD. Uh, have a year under his belt and a comfort level with his teammates and his surroundings and um, being a champion. I think guys like KD, um, there's a weight lifted off their shoulders when they win their first one. And um, I think we saw it with LeBron. Um, when LeBron won his first title in Miami, to me, if you look at LeBron now compared to that first title, um, he's dramatically better, dramatically. And I think a big part of that is um, – just that weight being lifted, you know, winning the first one. I think I think we saw it with Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, he he broke through for with his first title, and it's like you're playing with house money now, and, and uh, you don't have that pressure nearly as much pressure anymore. And so I think you'll see some of that with KD. You'll see some of that with our team. You know, winning two out of the last three titles, um, it's an incredible accomplishment, and it, it's um, you know, there's two ways it can go. You can rest on your laurels, or you can say, you know, let's get greedy. And I know our guys, and they're going to get greedy, and they're not going to stop working. Um, as far as, you know, being better, some of that will depend on how many of our guys are back, too, obviously. I mean, you know, Andre's been a huge part of what we do. You know, Sean's been a huge part of what we do. You know, we'd love to get those guys back. You know, can we get our centers back? You know, they all played a really important role in what we do, and we had a really nice cycle there but um obviously this is a superstar driven league and um and we've got we've got a great core and we're uh, i think that core is going to be intact for the next few years and i think we've got a chance to 
to get better from here. Throughout this, you know, we see the huge amount of talent and, and we know that you've got to be coaching them. I mean, I joke about the Durant adjustment to Durant, but clearly there were things that you had to work through. He and Steph had to work through. Uh, I, I know there might have been some things with Draymond, Steve. I mean, you, did, did Draymond maybe have to take the most kind of make the most change to his game was it were there a little bit of bumps just with Draymond figuring out where he fit and, and you figuring out how he fit into this you know it's funny before the season started I told our staff that I thought Draymond was going to have the biggest adjustment to make and he made it really easily hmm. you know he um, and I think a big part of of that is the fact that he's a point forward you know at his core offensively he's um you know, he handles the ball, and he's our leading assist guy. And all of a sudden, he had another shooter and another weapon to work with. And I thought that was really important that we established early um, that Draymond was still going to be an integral part of the offense. And I was worried about that. I thought because KD was going to need the ball, and Steph already had the ball, uh, I was worried that Draymond would be a little bit left out of the offense and that that would affect his overall game and his defense. And... Um, in fact, it's one of the things that's, I think, important for our fans to understand. Because one of the things I get all the time is, why don't you just put Steph in a screen and roll every play? You know, why don't you give him the ball every play? And um, I think what people who follow our team closely understand is that the number of playmakers we have on our team is what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean Livingston and Andre and, and Draymond and, you know, and even, you know, um, Clay and, and our centers, I mean, drive and kick and passing and moving, it, it keeps everybody engaged. Um, but, you know, for the people who say, you know, just give it to Steph every time, let him go, well, now you're alienating Draymond, you're alienating Andre, alienating Sean, you're, you're basically telling them to be spot-up three-point shooters. Um, and now I think you're losing a lot emotionally from what makes the team tick, and you're taking away the energy that – Draymond gets from being a playmaker and get, you know getting eight or ten assists, and uh, so that's the balance we always try to find with our group. Um, get everybody involved and energized, and it was especially important to get back to Draymond for him to establish that early in the year and not be left out of the offense. And I think he did a good job of that. Absolutely, and, and obviously played incredibly de- incredible defense again. Probably going to be defensive player of the year. There, there was a little moment or two where he looked like he wasn't thrilled with things. Um, was that just a natural, like maybe January? I forget when when it was. Uh, just the natural ups and downs of a season, or were there moments when when Draymond had to get a little bit of kind of uh, discussions with what, what was going on? Well, the day that Draymond is perfectly happy and content <laughs> with everything, I'm going to be very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I mean, we need his edge. We need his fire and his passion. And a big part of who Draymond is is you know, questioning things and constantly pushing us and not settling. And it's good for us. And so, you know, we had a few of those moments, but um, nothing dramatic, although people maybe tried to make it dramatic, um, you know, especially the KD game at the end of the yeah, Memphis yeah. game where we isolated and Draymond wasn't happy and he talked to Kevin about it. There's another game, I can't remember who we played, where Draymond just had a tough night. It wasn't his night, and I took him out, and he was angry, and, and um, people might have made a big deal out of that, but it really wasn't. Um, 
But over 82 games, you're going to have plenty of that with all the players and with Draymond especially, as passionate as he is. He's going to have his moments, and uh, I embrace that because it gives us the edge that uh, we otherwise wouldn't have, and it keeps us moving forward. Steve, I know the, the, the White House issue is, has come up, and, and you guys have said that you haven't gotten the invitation. Have you gotten the invitation yet? Uh, has, this, has there been any no, discussion? No, we, we have not um, received an invitation from the White House. Steve, would you want to go yourself? You know, I, I, the, the biggest thing for me is it's about the players. You know, this, this is a visit that is about the team. And what, you know, we have not met about it because we haven't um, been invited. Um, but I would want to make sure the players gave this uh, really a lot of thought. And um, everybody knows I've been a very outspoken critic of, of Trump's and, and um as a result, maybe we won't even get the invitation. But I do think it's very important to consider um, a potential invitation um, because I think it could have really positive ramifications if we did go. Um, and it's a different way to look at it. Um, you know, I, like many of our players, I'm very offended by you know, some of Trump's words and actions. Uh, on the other hand, I do think there's uh, something to, you know, respecting the office, respecting our institutions, uh, uh, our government. And I think it could make a statement in a time where there's so much divide and everybody seems to be angry with each other. Um, it might be a good statement for us to go and to show that, uh, hey, let's put this aside, put all this partisan stuff aside and personal stuff aside, respect the, in, the institution, and maybe even if you, you know, if 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 one of you players wants to you know, voice your concerns over what's happening, um, what better opportunity to do so? Now that that may wow. be incredibly idealistic, yeah. wow. but I would want to at least uh, bring that up with our players uh, as an as an option, rather than just coming out and saying, "No way, I'm not going." Well, that's it. That's fascinating. So you, if, if the players wanted to go, you would go up there and you would maybe, you know, hand a jersey to, to President Trump? I, uh, yeah, I mean, again, we would... <laughs> I don't want to I don't I put words in your mouth. Yeah, you're, 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 you're all of a sudden putting these images out there that, <laughs> that are interesting. But I would want to have that discussion with our players. And, uh, and again, you know, this may not even be a point because of how vocal we've all been um, in our opposition to uh, uh, to Trump's, um, you know, his actions and some of his words. And, and uh, so we may not get the invitation, but it's something I would absolutely entertain. And, uh, and I th like I said, I think it's important to respect the institution and, um, and it's important to think about ways that we can connect people um, and maybe that's a symbolic gesture of some sort. I, I don't know, but it's worth a discussion for sure. Uh, you see Pelo uh, the co Congress uh, people, Pelosi and Lee, Barbara Lee from East Bay, have invited you to visit them. Uh, have you heard about that, and is that a possibility? Yeah, I just heard about that yesterday. We got an email um, inviting us, and uh, very flattering, and um, I would imagine um, – We'll take them up on it. I don't know. We'll see what the schedule looks like with our Washington trip next year, and hopefully it all works out. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I, would, I would love to get an invitation um, to the White House. I'd love, you know, I'm glad we got one to Congress. Um, and, again, my, my thinking, 
you know, I, I think it's so important to move past um, the partisan stuff. That's the, the biggest problem in our country right now. It's yep. just the, the partisan crap. You know, the uh, you know people using in in elections using the shooting, the congressional shooting last week, um, saying you know this shooting may win us the election. Yep. Um, I read that the other day. Like, my God, is that a disgusting thing to say? Yep. Um, all the partisan crap on both sides. Um, it's it's awful, and it's dividing our country. And, and I think we all have to start thinking about ways we can connect with one another and stop this divide. And maybe sports is a good sort of uh, forum um, to try to help that. Um, and again, that people are, are listening might think that sounds hypocritical because I've been so um, critical of Trump. Um, but what I'm saying is, um, you know, this is not about uh, partisan policy. It's not about Democrat or Republican. It's about um, communication. It's about respect. It's about um, character and morality. And those are things that we have to really value as a country. Um, and both both sides of the government, both uh, parties need to keep that in mind and uh somehow make that part of our system again. I, I grew up, you remember this, I grew up in, in the 70s and 80s and, you know, when Reagan and Tip O'Neill were best friends, yep. you know, the Republican and the Democrat, the Speaker of the House and the President, and, you know, on both sides of the government, and yet they were best friends and they got stuff done. Yep. You know, they worked together to do stuff that was for the best for the country. And, uh, be nice to see that happen again at some point. Yeah, one of my, again, totally sort of off the side, but one of the stories I love is how the great friendship of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia, the Supreme Court justice, on the total opposite sides of the spectrum. I don't know that it brought anything together, but I do love stories like that, and, and we haven't heard many of them lately, that's for sure. Um, no, we haven't, and um, it's gotten so divided, and uh, it's... Um, we're not we're not accomplishing anything. We're not getting anything done in the government to actually further the country's best interest. And instead, we just attack each other to win elections and use fear uh, to, uh, to further individual agendas instead of actually focusing on what can what can help people. And, and in in some ways, it fosters the environment where it gets violent. I would think, you know, not saying there's crazy people who are going to be crazy no matter what. But when there's this kind of rhetoric, I think terrible things are more likely to happen. That's just my opinion. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And then you you factor in uh, the nature of technology and social media and um, the way the world works now. You know, um, people are literally printing their worst thoughts uh, for everybody to see. Yep. Um, you know, it, it used to be you didn't have this this uh, forum for your thoughts, and we all think negative thoughts, but uh, it was a lot healthier when they were just thoughts in your own head instead of tweets that are out there for everybody to see. And the ugliness of a lot of these these tweets and sound bites uh, from coming from our leaders, um, there's no doubt that leads to a different sort of energy and and uh, environment. Um, in our country, and uh, there's no doubt that that leads to negativity and even violence. I, I totally agree with that. 
Well, Steve, a year ago you came on this podcast and you surprised me and you, you had something you wanted to say and it was really well done uh, and really made a lot of people think. Anything else you want to add here? You have anything, uh, you have a, a sheet of anything you'd like to say right now? <laughs> uh, nothing, uh, you know, I think we just covered the political. Yeah, that was, yes, I think we did. I think we did. Yeah, I, I think the, the main thing is that I would want our fans to know um, just how lucky we all feel in our organization um, with the Warriors, our players, our management, our coaches. Like We, we just feel so lucky to be part of this era. And uh, you know our players um, have done an amazing job, and, and Bob has done an incredible job of putting together this roster. Um, but I always looked at the Warriors as a sleeping giant when I was a player, when I was at TNT. The brand was so cool. The fans were so energetic. Um, and for, you know, 15 years or so, they were just lousy. But you'd come into Oracle, you could feel that electricity. And um, it's just incredible what's happened here. And a lot of people have done a lot of good. Um, but I just want our fans to know how uh, thankful we are to have, uh, have them supporting us and, and to, you know, bringing that energy night in and night out. Um, and the excitement that is um, apparent, you know, in the Bay, our players feel that, I feel that, our management feels that, and it, it all, it's like this perfect storm, you know, great talent, great basketball fans, and a, a really, really great, wonderful group of people working together in the front office and coaching staff. Um, man, this is like basketball nirvana, it really is, and uh, we got to enjoy it while it lasts. We, it, these things never last forever, but... Yep. Uh, we're going to try to stretch it out as long as we can. Oh, you're stretching it out because it's going to be Chris DeMarco coaching the summer league team. That that might be the zenith right there. That that that's as good <laughs> as it gets. <laughs> I am now as watching every game. I'm going to watch every game now just to see what he's like on the sidelines. He's going to be great, and uh, summer league will be fun. It's uh, it's always weird, you know, that summer league starts so quickly yeah. after the finals, and so you're still kind of in the afterglow of. Um, when you win it, uh, you kind of go to Vegas and you, you still feel really yep. good and you see all your buddies from around the league and everybody's congratulating you. And, uh, that's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. All right, Steve, I ask everybody this, we've gone through so much, but I, I'm going to ask you, uh, what's your favorite, well, we talk so much about books. Let's talk about movies. What's your favorite recent movie? If you've been able to see something good. Uh, I don't have a favorite recent one to be oh. honest with you. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen many movies okay. um, the last few years. It's just it, it used to be a part of my routine with my wife, but that was when I was working TNT and I was working one night a week. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw a lot of movies yep. last three years. I haven't seen a lot of movies, but uh, all-time favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Not even close. Yep. Um, if I get if I'm flipping the channels and that's on, it's it's guaranteed I'm locked in for. For the remainder of the movie, that's uh, that's my favorite. Hundred percent, and the whole the, when he's changed the changes the shoes. That, that's when for some reason that gets me. That that one like, I mean, he's walking out with brand new shoes, and they show him walking out with with his the warden shoes. I just some for some reason that gets me. So, Shawshank. Yeah, the the, o- the only problem is that the suit and the shoes probably would not have fit because Andy Dufresne was like yep. a foot taller than. <laughs> hey, the hey, stop doing that! Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna get to get to give. We won't, we won't, we won't nitpick. Oh, by the way, I, I was telling you, I told you before, I was read, I'm reading American Gods, which is a it's a series now, 
so confusing that I'm going to have to watch the TV show to try to explain it to me. That's so I, I might be withdrawing the recommendation to you. A little confusing, okay. but I'll, I'll get back to you when, when I figure the whole thing out. All, All right. right. All right, Steve. Good. On that, we will end this again. Always appreciate the conversation and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right. There, everybody. Steve Kerr. Pretty good conversation there as usual. Uh, and a lot to think about. He surprised me with, with that White House answer uh, and typically thoughtful, typically uh, different than what just would be the normal way to think. So a lot to chew on, everyone. Let me know what you think. There it is. Steve Kerr. Thanks, everybody.